us. And it said that those who are hungry will be filled with goodness. Those who are hungry will be filled with goodness. I want the goodness of God to come in this place here. I'm hungry. Amen. I'm hungry for it. Just as hungry as if I had gone a long time without any physical food, I want the goodness of God to fill me. Praise God. Well, there's a few. <laughs> there's a few here that are hungry. Are you hungry for the goodness of God? Hallelujah. I'm pursuing that. I want his goodness to touch me, to impact me, and I want it to fill me. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm just taking a, a moment here. I'm just a pulse check. I know what time of a year it is. Let us not be so busy in everything else that it steals our energy from our worship in the house of God. If that's the case, you need to stop that. <laughs> If that's the case, then that's justification to stop doing whatever it is you're doing. Well, I had to run here and had to run there and ran into people and they were upset and this and that. You need to stop that. Praise God. If it's going to steal your worship and your praise, you need to stop doing all of that and say, okay, God, I'm coming to give you everything that I've got. Now, the flip side of that is you may have done some of that, but you're still here in the house of God, and you refuse to let the environment of the world and the culture of the world steal your voice and your praise and your energy and your inspiration. I thank God that in this place tonight, I feel his touch and his anointing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter number 1. And we will read verse number 21. We'll start in verse number 21, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 21. Very, very excited about Sunday morning. Everyone say Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we're going to have a great service. And everybody needs to be here. It's one service. And we'll give you time Sunday evening and Monday to enjoy with family and friends. Uh, so that means you do not want to miss Sunday morning. Let's be in the house of God, and we're going to have a great service, and Brother Cornelius Williams and his family will be with us, and so we're expecting God to do great things on Sunday morning. Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. Praise God. I want to speak to you for a few moments here tonight. God with us, through us. God with us, through us. And this is very, very important. If you have your Bibles and you're there, we're going to read the first 
portion of Matthew together, and so you'll want to keep that in front of you. Lord, we thank you and praise you tonight for your word, your spirit, the presence of God that we feel in this place tonight. I feel an uplifting and an encouraging spirit in this house. I feel hope that maketh not a shame, and we give to you thanks for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated. I want us to read the genealogy that starts out Matthew's gospel. It's very interesting, and it, it seems like a lot of filler stuff. Sometimes you can get lost in genealogies, especially if you start reading the book of Numbers. You can really get lost there. But Matthew is, is not so much of a task in terms of, of getting lost and, and going around in mystery. He gives to us the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, from the very beginning, <laughs> from the very beginning, Matthew is making a powerful statement that Jesus is the son of David, powerful, and he is the son of Abraham, powerful. These are two figures in the Old Testament and in the Hebrews' history. These were giant of individuals in their minds, but he is saying that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. He's making a very profound statement in the very beginning, and then he starts listing the genealogy up to Jesus. I want to read it. I want to read all of it. It's very interesting that he has included some names in here, and it's interesting that he has left out some names. And so he's the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. It is his ability and his task to take materials, to take things that have been um, have been memorized, quoted. There is a, a tradition, there is a, a word, an oral tradition that is given. In one particular place, a writer said, if all the things that Jesus did and said, there would not be books enough to hold all of it. And so there was in those early years from about A.D. 30, somewhere where Jesus died up to when the first book was actually given to us, which happens to be somewhere in the mid-50s, theologians say, or 60s. So there's a, a period there where there is oral tradition. They are repeating these things in the church, and they have very significant uh, structure to them. And this is one of the reasons why you can almost see those in the Gospels that are written. And Matthew is taking all of that material through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he's putting this together for an audience. And so he is, he is taking a different tactic than, say, John or Mark or Luke. He's coming at a certain angle. So he wants to be very, very emphatic to start his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus and make the claim that Jesus is the son of David and he is the son of Abraham. And so he launches into his genealogy beginning in verse number two. Let's read it. You can follow along. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. 
Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. He's breaking this down in periods up to David, David to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So here Matthew is writing. He is a Jew, and he is writing this gospel for the Jews. And he is contending that the Old Testament has reached its appointed goal in Jesus Christ. That expectation that they had of a Messiah is found in the son of David and the son of Abraham, which is God with us. He is self-consciously writing to the Jews. He is trying to convince them that the promised Messiah has come and all the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the life of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why you can find more Old Testament allusions and references than any other gospel, and that is because he is trying to make the claim and solidify that everything that is in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. We could say, well, reading the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 would be more interesting than reading the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And yet there is something very, very profitable that is happening in this genealogy. And that is everything that the Old Testament is talking about is pointing to Jesus. This is, this is Matthew's goal. He's trying to raise the specter to every Jew that everything that is in the Old Testament can be found in its culmination in Jesus Christ who is the son of Abraham and the son of David hallelujah he wants to say to them it is Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us everything that you've been looking for is found in Jesus everything that you've been searching for is found in Jesus everything that you've been pursuing is found in Jesus can I tell you it's the same message everything that you've been looking for. You can find it in Jesus. Everything that you've been pursuing that has let you down, you can find it in Jesus. He is God with us. There are many reasons why people are interested in genealogies. 
And in real life, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into genealogies, and they're profitable for people because people want to, and they spend a lot of effort trying to figure out who are and were our ancestors. This was especially important to the Jewish people. This is one of the reasons why Matthew, he's not just arbitrarily starting his gospel with a genealogy, but it is very important to Jewish people. Israel's king had to be a Jew, not a foreigner. This was spelled out in the book of Deuteronomy. Later on, it was revealed that the king had to be a descendant of David, another reason why genealogy is important. When the Jews were carried off into captivity into Babylon and they came back, it was very important for those exiles coming back. It was important for the priesthood that their name could be found in the genealogical records. Otherwise, they could not serve as a priest. It was important to be connected to an ancestor. And, and this was very, very important in Jewish history. And so Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy. And there are some roots to the reasons why he did. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, ends with the prophecy which looks to the coming of Jesus Christ through John the Baptist. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5, the writer Malachi says, Look, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will encourage fathers and their children to return to me so I will not come and strike the earth with judgment. So Malachi is prophesying, he's referring to Elijah. It comes in the form as John the Baptist who comes preaching a message of repentance. There's an expectation. And so Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, begins by looking back to the Old Testament and naming a genealogy. He starts with Abraham and he ends with Jesus Christ. He covers the entire history of Israel from Abraham to Christ. More than any other book, he emphasizes the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He contains at least 40 formal quotations from the Old Testament, and he introduces it formally with an introduction that states all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying. He refers to that at least 16 times. Here's the conclusion I want to leave with you in this introductory remark. His genealogy goes beyond just the author's claim elsewhere that Jesus is the incarnation and his ministry fulfills every single Old Testament prophecy. What he's saying is everything that you can find in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Praise God. You talk about the children of Israel coming out of bondage, Jesus. You talk about them crossing the Red Sea, Jesus. You talk about Abraham coming out of the Ur of the Chaldees, Jesus. Everything that you can find in the Old Testament, the building of the temple, Jesus. Hallelujah. Him calling out of exile, Jesus. Everything that you can look at in the Old Testament. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Everywhere you read, it's Jesus. And Matthew is trying to say to them, he is God manifested in the flesh, God with us. And if you put any confidence in the God of the Old Testament, it all resides in the one whose name is Jesus. He brought us out of Egypt. He gave to us a promised land. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. 
This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Now he's talking about manna and he's talking about the food that was given and all did drink the same spiritual drink. Now he's talking about the water that came out of the rock. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Now he's talking about the pillar and the fire. That rock was Christ. It, it is all wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus and everything about your Bible is about Jesus. So somebody would say, well, we don't need the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. The expectation is pointing to Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day. Now he's talking about all of the worship and the Sabbath or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ. The Sabbath is about Christ. The temple is about Christ. The land is about Christ. Everything, your heritage is about Jesus. It's all wrapped up in Jesus and Matthew is wanting to make the claim. Everything in the Old Testament, through this genealogy, it all points to Jesus. Well, one of the problems with genealogies is sometimes there's skeletons in the closet. They inform us that some of our forefathers were not such fine people. And you and I may find some skeletons in our genealogical closets, even the best of those that are listed in this genealogy were far from perfect. And we need to remind ourselves that the lives of these folks were us. They were imperfect. David and Solomon, they were great men, but they also failed miserably. Wittingly or not, some of these people actually worked to oppose God's promises and purposes. Some of the people listed in the genealogy actually opposed the purposes of God. Even Abraham and Sarah sought to produce an heir through Hagar, which was not God's plan, the Egyptian slave. Even after God told Abraham that the promised seed would be the offspring of both he and Sarah, they looked a different direction. Abraham passed off his wife as his sister, making her available for marriage. This is working against God's purpose. He did this not only with Pharaoh, but he did it with Abimelech. And when Abimelech rebuked Abraham for these actions, he told Abimelech that we do this wherever we go. Isaac, Abraham's son, following the same pattern as his father, did the same thing with his wife, Rebecca. He passed her off as his sister. So when you look through some of these names and these situations, these are not perfect people. They're imperfect people. And Matthew is saying it is God with us, but he's coming through us. He's coming through imperfection, bringing out that which is perfect. Man, there's a message right there in that title because sometimes we find ourselves in imperfect conditions. But I want you to know something. God can bring out something perfect through your imperfect conditions. Hallelujah. You, you, you may not have 
it all together. It's imperfect, but there's a perfect God that can make things right. There's a perfect God that has a solution. There's a perfect God that can direct you. Even when it's imperfect, God can come through with perfection. So these people, they're imperfect, and that's how God comes through. He comes through. Matthew is saying he comes through imperfection. And even Abraham, you look at David. David had a lot of difficulties in his own life, and there was sin in his own life. David had problems. He was not perfect. And then you look some, through some of these other names, and there is imp imperfection. And what this tells us is this. The blessings of God on his people had nothing to do with the good works of men, but they can only be explained by his mercy and his grace. His blessing poured out on individuals who are imperfect, and that is the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. You're not going to find perfection in this world, and you're going to be sadly disappointed with the people around you. But can I testify to you just for a moment right here? You will never be disappointed in a God that loves you. Emmanuel, God with us, bringing perfection to an imperfect world. Praise God, we're in a world of confusion and turmoil, but I'm hanging on to one who is perfect in everything. His mercy is perfect. His goodness is perfect. His grace is perfect. <clears throat> it almost seems like Matthew, because Matthew's leaving out some names. It almost seems like Matthew purposely goes out of his way to find some the questionable ancestors of Jesus in order to insert them into the record in order to preach the gospel. And what is the gospel? That God can overcome and forgive sin. That he can use soiled but repentant persons for his great purpose in history. That he can take individuals who are soil, but yet he can integrate them into the kingdom of God. Individuals who had a proper response. You look at someone like Judah, who is in the genealogy. And Judah, who mistreats Tamar, who is his daughter-in-law. And she is waiting because he has given to her a promise after her first husband passes away that she will receive a future son when he is of age. But he ignores her. And so she stands on the wayside dressed and appears as a harlot. And Judah takes advantage of that situation. And she's wise enough to take some of his goods and she keeps them with her, and then she responds back to him at some point. He gets word that she has played the harlot, and she is pregnant. And so he wants to destroy her, and she reveals to him, the man that has done this, come and receive the goods that I have taken. And he realizes he's made a huge, huge mistake. And in Genesis chapter 38 and verse number 20. Six, Judah acknowledged them, those mistakes, and said she 
has been more righteous than I because I gave her not to Sheila, my son, and he knew her again no more. Imperfection, imperfect people, and Judah and Tamar and the two children that are born due to that imperfection are also in the mention of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God, 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 Matthew is like, look here, look here. Here is an amazing gospel message. There is good news. God can help you out of your sin and out of your degradation and out of your dysfunction. Thank God that there is God with us who comes with us and through us to help us in our situation. He comes to us, and that is the gospel. That is the gospel message. We see David. He's got problems and difficulty in his life. He tries to cover stuff up. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. Then he sends her husband out on the front lines, and he commits murder in that sense, and he tries to cover all of this up, and he tries to get all this kind of things right. This is David we're talking about who was imperfect, imperfection. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Imperfection, problems, difficulties, people, this genealogy of Jesus, Jesus comes through the line of imperfection, people with problems and circumstances. David had major problems in his life. Abraham had major problems in his life. Some of these other people had major problems in their life. Rahab was a harlot and a prostitute, but she's mentioned here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because Jesus knows how to work with dysfunction. And this is the message of the church, and this is the message of the gospel, and that is don't give up because God's not going to give up on you. Don't walk away and say, I've done too much, it's too difficult, and the sins are stacked upon themselves too high. I want to preach to you and tell you there is a God that is with us. He knows exactly where you are, and he's got the ability and a solution to forgive you and wash away every sin. Hallelujah. There's something called Calvary. There is blood that is still effective that can cover every sin. There is baptism in his name that is able to wash away every wrongdoing that has ever been placed in your life and he can give to you power. We need to thank God for that here tonight. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for a message. Thank God for a new birth experience. Praise God. Why don't you clap your hands like you really mean it tonight? Matthew's a genius. He's amazing. He's trying to point something out to the Jews, and he's picking. This is one of the reasons why the Scripture it validates its, its infallibility. It's never trying to sugarcoat anything or put something in a certain light it exposes everything that is raw, everything that is real. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't put a nice sheen of marketing over it that's really slick. It just points out reality. And Matthew includes four women in his genealogy. This is a rare thing, especially for a Jewish 
genealogy. You go back and look at some of the genealogies in the Old Testament, you're gonna, not going to find very many women at all, but Matthew includes four. That would probably be expected in Luke's gospel because Luke is writing more toward Gentiles, and so his approach is different. But Matthew places four noble for that are not considered to be very noble women of the Old Testament. Three of them were Gentiles by birth, and the fourth, Bathsheba, was a virtual Gentile by her marriage to Uriah the Hittite. He was Hittite, so she was Jewish. She was, in her marriage, she was half joined to a Hittite. All of these women might not have been considered Pure as the driven snow by some self-righteous Jews. But the conclusion here is this. God's promise of salvation through the Messiah was for unworthy sinners, including Gentiles. Matthew, Matthew, is, Matthew is a Jew writing to the Jews, but he's also putting Gentiles in the genealogy because Matthew recognizes Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He might have been a Jew, but he came to fulfill a promise to Abraham, and the promise to Abraham is I'm going to bless the nations and your descendants like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky, and it's going to include not only Jews, but it's going to include Gentiles. This gospel message is not for one group of people or one nationality. It is for everybody. And Matthew wants to be very, very clear in his genealogy. There is a Bathsheba. There is a Rahab. There are some women here that are Gentiles. And the gospel reaches to Gentiles. He left some out. The four model matriarchs of Jewish history are Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. The, these are the wives that are respectively of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet Matthew leaves these four women conspicuously out of the genealogy. Their husbands are in here. And so there was opportunity for Matthew to include these good wives. But he gives the church four new matriarchs to include. And the four new matriarchs have to do with the gospel message to the Gentiles in which God's mercy is so wide and it's so deep. Hey, Rahab, you might have been a harlot living in Jericho, but there's a God that knows exactly where you are, and he knows your heart is right, and he's going to bring you out of that sin and degradation out of Jericho, and he's going to plant you in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That means everybody has an opportunity to get into the kingdom of God. There is no discrimination. You can get into the kingdom of God. You say, well, my past is too bleak, too dark, too black, too difficult, but God says, you're not any better than Rahab, and if I can pull Rahab out of Jericho and put her into the lineage of Jesus Christ, I can do the same thing with you. This is the good news. These four scandals 
reveal to us divine mercy. And that's what Matthew's trying to proclaim. He's stooping all the way through the Old Testament. And through these four women, he highlights this mercy in the lines of his genealogy. King David himself had a Canaanite great-great-great-grandmother, a Jerichoite great-great-grandmother, a Moabite great-grandmother, and a Hittite wife. These four new matriarchs are encapsulated in all of these. A Canaanite great-great-grandmother to David would have been Tamar. A Jerichoite great-great-grandmother would have been Rahab. A Moabite great-grandmother would have been would have been going to have to look because I just forgot. Would have been Ruth. There you go. Would have been Ruth. God revealing his great, great mercy. And a Hittite wife would have been Bathsheba. Matthew wants the church to know that from the very beginning, and not just from a council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. God's work has been interracial and that God is no narrow nationalist or racist. God is reaching to everybody. I'm so grateful and thankful that he is. He breaks down every barrier. He is God with us, through us, through us, through us. Matthew is careful to show that Jesus' lineage makes him both a son of David and a son of Abraham. Two major, major figures in the Old Testament. Old Testament men with whom God made the most important covenants of all time as far as the Messiah was concerned. Genesis chapter number 12, God called Abraham and said, I'm going to bless the nations. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God told David, your throne is going to be a throne that will be for eternity. And so in both of these covenants, God promises, I'm going to make a great nation and I am going to create a dynasty that will continue for an eternity. Jesus is the son of Abraham and he is the son of David. He is the fulfillment of both of those covenants. And this is what we need to recognize. What he says, he's going to do. On the cross, he said, it is finished. God will always finish what he starts. He promised to Abraham, I'm going to do it. He did it and finished it at Calvary. He said to David, your throne 
throne is going to be an eternal throne. And at Calvary, his kingdom became something that was for an eternity. If God says something to you, you can put it in the bank that he's going to always finish whatever he has stated. If his word says that he's coming back, he's coming back. If his word says that he's a healer, he'll be a healer. If his word says he's a provider, he's going to be a provider. If his word says he'll redeem you from the hand of the enemy, you can trust the word of God. Praise God, praise God. No matter what the enemy says, if God said it, it's settled, it's finished, he's going to do it. Amen. As your musicians come tonight, in conclusion here, in this genealogy, there is a homeless man. That would be Abraham, he was a sojourner. A schemer and an incestuous sexual predator. <laughs> that would be Judah. A prostitute. That would be Rahab. A Gentile woman. An adulterer and a murderer. Devout kings and apostate rulers. Slaves and masters, poor and rich, men and women. This, my friends, is Jesus' family tree. He is Emmanuel, God, with us, but he has come through us. It would be an understatement to say that that was dysfunctional. In fact, it's an indictment on the human race. An illustration of how far we've fallen. And the very reason we need the gospel. Praise God, we need Jesus. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So what is, what is Matthew trying to do with this twisted genealogy here? Well, number one, he's trying to say, the Messiah is going to come through the line of Abraham. And Matthew is saying, here is the fingerprint of God, the ancestors of the Messiah. He's coming through Abraham and he's coming through humanity. He also wants to say this, God is sovereign. No matter how corrupt the world becomes, God is in control. Man, I want to say that again, and I want to say it emphatically. What Matthew's trying to do with this genealogy is say, is to say, no matter how corrupt the world is, God is in control and he's sovereign. It doesn't matter how difficult or how bad it may look, ultimately, God's in control. And he can take bad situations and work them to the good. Thank God he did it in my life because there's a lot of situations that were completely out of my control. But because he's a sovereign God, he knows how to take every failure, every circumstance, every difficulty and turn that into his own purposes and his own ability and his own sovereign power. That's what Matthew's trying to say. He's trying to say Jesus is the fulfillment to Abraham. He's coming through every 
line of humanity. And he's a sovereign God. And this, he is humble. He is humble. He is God with us, but he's coming through you. Stop and think about that for a minute. He could come other ways. But would the impact of the Messiah and would the impact of Jesus be as powerful if he was coming outside of us as humanity? That's one of the powers. One of the powers is to recognize, God, if you came through humanity, that means that you became flesh and you're walking in humanity so that you understand humanity and that makes your sacrifice so much more important to me. I don't want a Savior that doesn't know what I go through. I don't want a Savior that has never experienced what I experienced, but he walked among us. He became us. And this is what Matthew is saying. He came in humbleness. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6 says who? Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He came in humbleness. He came in humility. And why? So that he would be acquainted with our weakness and that he might be familiar with the dregs of society. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Praise God. He knows exactly what I'm going through even here tonight. And he's a God that can minister and respond to me. He is God Matthew wants to say that in the genealogy. He also wants to say that God heals the brokenhearted. The first 17 lines of Matthew is an exhibition of the fallen and flawed, the very people that Jesus came to save. But what is important is not what they do. Because as we've seen, they're prone to kill, to lie, and to adulterate. What is important is how they respond. David fell at the feet of God and begged for mercy. Ruth, a Moabite, proclaimed, Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. God showed mercy on people who had a broken and a contrite heart. And yet he was also merciless to those who had a hard and a different heart. The message to you and I through this genealogy is that stop loving sin and start loving Jesus. And then lastly, Matthew's wanting to say this. The gospel is for all people. We stand together in the house of God tonight.
God comes to save dysfunctional people. And if all of Jesus' ancestors should tell us anything, should tell us this, you and I are not beyond reconciliation. God has not given up on us. And he wishes that we won't give up on him. Praise God. I want to love Jesus here in the house of God tonight. Amen. And in conclusion of this service, I think we should just lift up our hands and thank God that he's a God that's with us, but he came through us. Praise God. He came through failure. He came through problems. He came, he came through soiled reputation and situations. But ultimately, he is Emmanuel. Praise God. He is Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Praise God. God's with us tonight in this place. Hallelujah. God's with us tonight in this place. Through our situations, through our humanity, through our shortcomings and failure. Lord, we lift up our hands and we're not going to get sidetracked by all of our failures, but we're going to recognize you have a name that is above every name. It was given to you because of your humility and your ability and Calvary. 